My name is Amarna Miller. I'm a porn star, and I was born in a hypocritical country where the same people calling me a whore jerk off watching my videos. A country that loves life, but allows killing in the name of art. A country outraged at corruption that still votes for thieves. Where they save the same banks that evict thousands of families. A country that says it is secular while decorating the Virgin Mary. That treats migrants as heroes and immigrants like trash. A country where those who are supposed to be moral guardians can be the most dangerous. Where prostitution is still not legal, but where the number of clients grow every year. A country that is supposed to be open and tolerant, where a referee receives death threats for being gay. Yes, we live in a disgustingly hypocritical country, but some of us do not give up. Welcome to What's Left, the weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with uh, co-host, com- uh, socialist and teacher Andy Lipson, uh, teacher and uh, writer Jessica Holmes, and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. Uh, we are online at what-s-left.webnote.com. Uh, you can find any of our episodes uh, on that blog or wherever you found this episode. We invite listeners to, or view, and viewers to subscribe to any of our platforms that I will list at the end because I don't remember them all right now, but there are nine of them and you can find them on our, wherever you found this episode on the episode notes. Um, right. Uh, so today we'll be discussing a topic that deals with adult content. So this is a disclaimer for folks that are listening, uh, viewers and listeners, if you're listening to this on your commute, or if you're listening to this as you're in the kitchen or wherever you're at, Uh, or viewing this, I advise you um, take note that I am now stating that we'll be discussing adult content. Um, So if you have any minors around, maybe this might not be a very good time to listen to this episode. Uh, Or if you're just uncomfortable by some of the things that we'll be discussing, uh, this is your opportunity to uh, turn to a different episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, I will start off by saying I want to wish uh, Andy a very early happy birthday before uh, next week. It's his birthday. So I know that we've had a, uh, I don't remember the anniversary for this, what's left, um, our birthday for what's left, but I do know Andy's in July. <laughs> July and I think it is on, on Monday. Right? Yes, July 18th. All right. Thank you. So we wish you all from what's left a very happy birthday, Andy, and also the public uh, and our, our audience that has been like a cult following here will also, I'm sure. Say happy birthday in the comments. Thank you <laughs> yes. for that. If you do, yeah. all right. Thank you. Right. Um, so I've got some notes. I will be discussing today. I ask for. We will be discussing adult content. Now I will say we'll discuss sex work. We'll discuss uh, the sex industry. We'll discuss my personal journey. We'll discuss sex work here in Colombia, as well as uh, the future of sex, like uh, sex tech. Uh, and uh, what that means as it relates to the fourth industrial revolution. So that will be the topics that we'll be discussing today. Uh, I really hope Andy and Kenny and Jessica that you will put on 
the audience hat and really ask questions that I know the audience will want to ask. Uh, if I don't feel comfortable answering something, or if I don't think that I want to answer something about someone else's life, I just won't answer it. Uh, that's the way this is going to go. I want to, um, something I always uh, hear that I am in Colombia, something I always teach my, I don't teach it. I mean, something I give counsel to my fellow um, other workers, sex workers, I tell them, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's kind of a simple concept, but it's hard to understand that you don't, you don't ever have to do anything you don't want to do. So I will respond to questions that I think that the audience might um, ask or you go compose and I will either answer it, I will dodge it, or I will figure out a way to answer it in the most appropriate manner with also not giving everything away. Maybe if I feel like it. Uh, so I guess I'll start off with the very first question that someone had posed and the YouTube comment. Um, and that was relating to my Jehovah's witness background and how I came to be, uh, a sex worker later, right? I think, I think that's a fair question. Uh, but I've also shared with people already some of my Jehovah's Witness background. So it's kind of been sprinkled around some episodes. I don't want to go and delve into it completely. I think we can do another episode regarding religion and invite another guests who've also been in other religious cults. And that will be a separate episode. But just to give a brief uh, story, or, or rather just to share um, how it's connected to what I've done in uh, when I was 18. Um, I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. I was uh, instructed uh, with Bible principles. I was very much involved. I wasn't just someone that was seated and attended. It was an actual involvement, like really engaged. My, my mother raised me as a strict Jehovah's Witness. So we did everything. We went to Bible study. We went to, we call them meetings. They're like church attendings. There were three days of the week and you had to study the Bible. I've read the Bible from front to back. I've, of course, I've only understood it maybe half of that. I don't really think I've understood the whole thing, but three times because you're supposed to read the Bible daily and you're supposed to read Jehovah's Witness literature daily. You're supposed to take notes at the meetings. You're supposed to study the literature that they give you for uh, book readings. and so. You are raised uh, neutrally politically. You never put your hand on your heart when you're. At, when I was in Mexico to pledge allegiance to the flag or in the USA when I went to school there. And I know that uh, most people know Jehovah's Witnesses for their preaching and for their not celebrating uh, religion or, or holidays, no? And that's true. So I did a lot of preaching, lots of hours, and also we did not celebrate holidays such as birthdays, which is difficult for me because I don't even celebrate my own birthday. And I don't have the challenge remembering other people's birthdays. And so I try to put it and plug it into my calendar. <laughs> uh, so please don't get offended if I don't remember your birthday because I don't even celebrate mine. <laughs> uh, I guess what is important for people to know is that I got baptized when I was 12 years old. And that is the time that Jesus was like in Jerusalem talking to um, priests and sarsadotes, uh, um, like very high priests uh, in 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 the in the Jewish uh, and uh, yeah in the Jewish uh, religion, and 
Uh, so I, I was 12 years old. I was just very inspired. I had, a, I had a true, deep connection with God at that time. And so I believed and I prayed every day. And, you know, as, as anyone knows, like you have this, I mean, I, as I think anyone who has a religious background might have this very intense religious uh, connection with God. I, um, I'm not going to delve into why probably like I, I thought I did or didn't. I, I think that's for the religious uh, uh, episode, religion episode. I, for me, it was very deep. And then I was growing up. So as I grew up, you make mistakes. And I was an adolescent. And so from 12 until 14, I was finding my way. And, and as an adolescent, I made mistakes. And then I was reproved, which is uh, second to, it is one of the most punitive, it's, it's a punitive in a sense that you're not allowed to do any more spiritual activities. So for example, you're not allowed to preach or you are allowed to preach, but you're not allowed to uh, preach directly. You accompany someone else. At least these were the rules for me at the time. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to fast forward. There was that that affected me a lot. And I attended um, the Spanish language congregation. And then in the USA, I attended an English language congregation for a brief period of time. And then I attended a sign language congregation. So I, 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 I went to a different congregation in another language. And, and, uh, and those experiences taught me a lot about work ethic, studying, and also just principles and values that's so ingrained to have direction of your principles and values. What moved me or changed me was when, again, I got reproved uh, when I was uh, 17, 17. And I was just, it was so challenging at that point because it was so minor. And I, I felt like I did, I had done everything. And this is where it's leading to what I did next. Like I had done everything as a, like as a, as a kid to try to explain to prove that I was a committed, faithful Jehovah's Witness, a Christian, and yet I still could not keep up with the high expectations that were placed on me. That was very, uh, I think that was the biggest blow for me because I had just come out from like being reproved when I was 14 and then again being reproved when I was 17. It was so minor, <laughs> I don't even, I, my faith, I just was, it was such a rocky time. So I left. I decided when I was 18, I, I, I would finish high school and I would do it independently. So I went to an alternative school. I did somewhat like homeschooling format and I finished my schooling. And as a kid that had like A's and F's, nothing in between. It was like, it was very extreme. It was A's for, very, for courses. And then it was F's for the ones I just didn't care about. <laughs> physics and English and Spanish and, and French and A's, A's, but everything else, F, F, you know, I just didn't care. Uh, but then I decided I would just get a 4.0 and I did and my last year of high school. And I, and then I thought, well, where, where should I go? What should I do after this? And most people apply for university after that. So I, I did apply to SF State University. I remember being at SF State University and thinking, this isn't for me. Like I, I went and I thought, this is not for me. So I biked home 
and I grabbed my bag and I decided to go up to Oregon. And I went up to Oregon, I took a bus, the Greyhound in California. And from there, I decided to take a journey. And I stayed in Oregon with my friend Jake, who's been on these episodes. And then he did whatever with his partner, his girlfriend, who later became his wife. And then I just decided to leave on my own and hitchhike. So I, I, I went on my own and I went to the East Coast. And this is where I think this is where I, uh, the story begins of my life in sex work. When I was in the East Coast, I had a partner who was from Brazil. And that partner, it was such a, it was so, it was disastrous. It was constant fighting in Spanish and Portuguese. And it was, it was not a healthy relationship at all. <laughs> and, uh, and at that time, I just, just I, I, I would spend my summer days just looking for, uh, I would look for things to do. And I loved art and I would love drawing. And I saw that there were these figure drawing uh, uh, courses. And I thought, I'll do that one day. I'll do that. But they were expensive. I didn't have money at the time. When I finally did uh, break off with my partner at that time, uh, I went back to the East Coast. But this time, I decided I would um, figure out my way just on my own because I had already wanted to live there. I liked it. And I thought maybe this is a way for me just to, this is a way for me to just like uh, be on my own, reinvent myself. That's the word I was looking for because in the West Coast of California, I had felt everyone knew me. There was a Jehovah's Witnesses, our tight community, anything that wherever you are in San Francisco. And to this day, when I met in San Francisco, some people do recognize me. Such a tight community. And my mother's story is very well known in the a Spanish language community of San Francisco, the Mission District. I mean, San Francisco is so small. You know, you have community members that know you. And I know that it just becomes like this bubble. It is this bubble of people that you know, from my Jehovah's Witness background to now people recognize me for campaigning and activist background to as an educator. So it, it's just this, ugh, I wanted to get away from that, no? I mean, at that time, it was just my Jehovah's Witness background. So I, I wanted to get away from that. And I wanted to reinvent myself in the East Coast. Uh, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know at the time. I just knew it was good for me to be away. And I love the strong seasons of the East Coast. You know, it's like there's just the oranges and the yellows and all of that. And I just love those summers and, and then the winter. So, but... I didn't know how I was going to pull off at that time um, money. I just, I barely, I didn't have an education in college. I, I just had my journal and I had my rucksack and I had, I had a few things. I had a bit of money, but I, I didn't, I guess for me, as being someone that had read lots of novels, <laughs> for me, it was okay. I can be this backpacker. I can just go out there. I had read Into the Wild, if anyone knows that book. And, and I thought about uh, that character. And I was so glad they made the film afterwards, you know, based on that book. And so I had thought, oh, if he went all the way to Alaska and he was able to, I, I can survive in the East Coast. I can just be on my own. 
So I was there sleeping on benches and in churches and wherever I could find some place just to stay. And there were wonderful people who cared for me to this day. I just think of all the wonderful people who really took care of me. I really do appreciate that. And that's why I think it's always good to give back. Um, so I remembered that figure drawing course and I went to go look for it. When I went to go look for it, they were looking for art models. An art model is someone that poses, does all these different poses in the, in the center around people who are drawing them. And this was in Massachusetts, in Cambridge. There were lots of students from, from Harvard, from MIT, from, these were, these were amazing. Like the, this being surrounded by this uh, uh, university town and Cambridge is like Berkeley to, I, I, that's how I see it. I don't know if, if any of you have been to East Coast there, but it just, to me, Cambridge is like Berkeley and Boston is like San Francisco. And I would just take the tube and it was really nice to, to be in that environment. And so I did that. I did, um, I did, um, I decided to take a figure drawing course, I, uh, um, to take uh, uh, art modeling uh and they paid at that time. It was good. I mean, it was 50 bucks a session. It wasn't, it was what I needed. And if you were working, and at that time it was like, if you just were working two hours straight um, and then you met other people, it, it didn't feel like hours. It for me, it felt just liberating. I don't know, like someone tried to ask me, what got you started to even do something around nudity to begin with? I think there were several factors. I think it's complex, right? Like for, for me, the, re the repression of being having a Jehovah, being a Jehovah's Witness and not knowing how to explore my own sexuality, how to explore who I am as an individual, feeling like I'm there's shame in my body. I mean, at home, we didn't even undress. Like I wasn't like my mother always had us with shirts. We didn't just walk around the home like as an adolescent with shirtless. I I never dressed in front of my brother like that. It was very rare. I, um, my mother hardly ever talked. Well, she did talk about sex, but my mother didn't undress herself in front of us. It wasn't, it was very conservative in that way. Other topics like conversations around sex were easy to have, but around us, each other, the three of us, because my, or, or my, with my stepfather or my father, or we weren't that liberated in, in that way. Whereas I know friends who had families were, They've even been naked in homes together. That's fine. I just didn't have that. Um, and so I, I wanted to try and I said, well, what does it take? I mean, well, what is it? I mean, it's just going to be once. If I don't like it, I'll just not do it again. And no one knows me here. And this is about my reinvention, right? It's about finding my, it's curiosity. It was about atrevimiento. It was about um, daring. It was like trying to do something that was someone else was trying to tell me you can't do this. And I said, yes, I will do it. Uh, it was this rebellious spirit. And at that time, because I still felt this qualms with my Jehovah's Witness background, I said, well, F it. You know, if, if they really want to punish me, well, they have punish me for, for, for nudity, punish me for being so liberal, punish me for cursing, punish, punish me for this instead of what I got uh, in trouble for. So I, I did that. That was how it started. There was, so when I had applied, I thought I wasn't going to get con contracted or hi or hired for it or taken for it because I, I remember the arch models there. They were young. 
students. They were students also trying to pay off their college debt. And they were very, I thought they were very beautiful. I, I mean, they were, I, I thought I can come, I'm not going to get accepted either way. So it's like this daring thing. I'm like, I'm just going to do it. I'm not even going to get accepted. Uh, and in the East Coast, there aren't many Mexicans. There are like no, hardly any Latinos, at least like that look like me. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, well, I'll just go. And I had lots of insecurities around my, myself. But yeah, I, I got accepted. So when I was asked to do, after some sessions, I remember the director of the studio was the one who really uh, requested me for several sessions uh, for, I guess, my features, my differences in looks. Uh, I think for me, when they, who should I mention here? The assistant of the director asked if I would be willing to do erotic, erotic modeling, which has to do with more nudity, but also sexual uh, poses for photography. Um, at first, I, I thought it was the same, but with different medium and more private sessions. And I thought, okay, it's a step for, it's more, it, 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 it was another step towards daring myself to reinvent myself, to find the, where my limits were. Just to be clear, I'm, I'm trying to follow this. Um, you did get accepted into modeling, the yeah. regular modeling. Yeah. You did do a few sessions, correct? Yeah. And you were asked to do that, those sessions, those were in the nude, is that, is that right? Yeah, all of it in the nude, yes. And um, do you, in, in, the, in those sessions that are not considered the erotic modeling, do they tell you, here's how we want you to stand? Do you get a choices in that? And secondly, how long would each session be? Yeah. Okay. So they could be... And then go ahead and move. You can move to the... Yeah. So, you, so for art modeling, it could be uh, different poses. It, they have specific poses that they want you to be in. Uh, sometimes they're around other models. Other times they're around other uh, objects. Uh, and you can be standing there or sitting there or lying there for any anywhere from five minutes. If they were doing fast drawings, they had to do fast drawings five minutes to 15 minutes to an hour. So it depended on what the course was going to be about. So if they were doing quick sketches, I had to do five minute poses and you learn those poses quick. So there are, there, there are different poses that I could post for people. I mean, there, they, there's just, there's some pretty good pictures out there that people can see without seeing genitalia. I mean. The, 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 the poses are have to be in quick succession for art students who want to draw as quickly as possible. And then there are the 15-minute poses for those longer sessions. And then, obviously, the, the one hour. Um, there wasn't any sexual thing about it. People were quite, I think people giggled. Some people were new and other people were sort of like enthralled by the whole idea of having an actual life thing there, like in the center, rather than having a sculpture or rather than having uh, some fruit in the middle, right? And because I do want to move to the next part, but what was the feeling like of doing that? How it, did did that feel comfortable? Did it feel like rebellious? Did it feel affirming? Like what, what were your feelings about doing that kind of work? I think I was most impressed by their drawings. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to keep them. <laughs> the people drew very well. Some people drew me. That some beginners they were not that. I mean, 
how should I say? I don't want to say good because art is very, you know, relative. Like you can't say something is good or bad. Um, some were not as representative. That's how I say it. Not as representative to the body. Uh, so I appreciate that kind of art as well today because, you know, when you begin drawing, I love those beginning drawings. I love how when children draw me, for example, my face, for example, just to be clear. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just love the way that you, the human form, you begin with line and shape and shadow, right? It's just as simple as that. And whoever begins drawing, they're so insecure and so self, you know, de deprecating or, how, def or you know, they're, but you, you just... Art is just art and you just, you know, anyone can draw. And I just appreciated people drawing me. I felt like the center of attention. I had never been the center of attention of anything. I, I was a very shy kid and I felt, I felt awkward and I felt ugly and I felt horrible. And here were people drawing my penis. I mean, it was like that. It was, oh my, and my, and my butt. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, does it really look like that? And I really don't know if I want to look like that, you know? <laughs> and in the beginning it was uncomfortable but then you know you get used to it and then the more I realized the more confident I looked the more they were comfortable so I realized if I was showing awkwardness or uncomfortableness they were showing that as well I was also feeding onto that so I would just look like I learned this is not to be clear a fashion model which is completely different we're taught those are I don't know that's a whole different world I never could qualify for that <laughs> I'm not even the height of that. But to be an art model, they do they did want finally, like they had all these, they had these white European looking models and they all looked the same. So for finally one of them to like like me to come forward with different features with um ethnic backgrounds, it's like, oh my goodness, what a difference to draw something like that, you know, instead of drawing another straight edge nose and another um chiseled white boy. You know, so I, I came here onto the scene and then they were like, oh, my goodness, thank goodness, something different. <laughs> so it was I was very much appreciated. I think that that was the level of um, that was the level of, of of connection. I felt really good with in the beginning, obviously, like I said, insecure. I was thinking to myself, I was sweating. I remember sitting there and and sweating, thinking. They're going to look at every imperfection I have, you know, and looking back, I was very handsome and I hated myself. I hated myself so much. And yet I was torturing myself and sweating, sweat and sweat. And, and they would say, like, are you all right? And I was just like, yeah, you know, <laughs> but I got paid. I got a place to sleep. I could sleep in the studio. Uh, I met students. They took me to their dorms. I got to see a campus. That was amazing. Uh, so I made great uh, connections there. And I would spend the evenings just going out and walking around Cambridge and Boston by myself. And, and, uh, and then I went out with a few people. And it was really nice at that time. I don't know if you have any more questions around that I can go over. So when I did the erotic modeling, um, I thought, well, I can do that as well. I'm trying to reinvent myself. Um, but I have a question. Go ahead. Yeah. Neurotic modeling. Was that through this institution? Was this like a little more? It was through, there was a community of artists and there weren't just students. There were also people who were professionals there. A few, not everyone was a student. So, 
there was a, a few people who did other things like photography. And uh, I was asked by one of the older drawers, there weren't students, one of the drawers, because there were advanced courses too for drawing. I was asked if I could do, uh, who was great friends with, the, with the, the studio director, I was asked if I could do erotic modeling for his photography. I thought, all right, sure. And I was impressionable and I thought that is amazing that someone could see something in me. I mean, when you have low self-esteem, <laughs> like me, and you don't think of yourself as, or you also come from a oppressed background, and you also are, you know, trying to find your way as a young person, you take any attention, really. I mean, I did. I'll speak for myself, I did. And I said, sure. It wasn't like I was sexually motivated because there wasn't any sexually motivation around it. It was, it was, there was an incentive for money, of course, but there, there was that element. And, I, and I'm not here to tell the story of someone who has probably gone through very hard financial times and has had to put on their high heels and be on the street. I, there's that part too that I later found out about, but this is my transition into that. And for, for me, it was just attention and there was a money incentive and there was also the reinvention of myself and pushing myself to my limits. When I was asked to do the erotic modeling, I was asked to do it, I thought there were going to be other people. Uh, I was asked to do it with just him. Uh, and, and then I was asked to do poses. And after a few sessions, I forget, like maybe three, after the third session, I was asked to self-stimulate myself and they wanted to capture uh, those acts in, in, in motion, in picture, motion. And for me, I thought about art. <laughs> I thought about um, maybe the daringness again of trying to push myself to limits where I, where, where are my limits? I thought, all right, yeah, I'll do it. And I did that. I think for the time that, that the lapse of time that I would do these self stimulate at first I thought they were just all part artistically for this, for this job. But when he wanted another model to be a part of it and for all, both of us to perform, it was when I began getting confused. I remember thinking, wait, I thought it was, I feel it was this line, this blurry line of pornography now. And I wasn't sure. I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how to say, wait, hold on. What is this project for? <laughs> I didn't know how to, it, 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 it all happened so fast. Just thinking back, I mean, I sent you a picture, Andy, of myself thinking as I'm reflecting, like, how did I just, it just seemed like it just, everything smoothly came into place. And when I look at myself in that picture, maybe you might share it with Jess and, 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 and Kenny here from your phone. I think to myself how naive I was. So in Henwo, how do you, so naive, no? So innocent. 
And so when another model was asked to, to perform with me, in the beginning, I, I think he noticed that I was nervous and that I was beginning to doubt question. So the, the, sort of, the sort of poses that we were doing were sort of neutral enough. We're just touching each other, nothing. But then kissing was part of it. And then there was self mutually um, doing something. And then there was another model. It was a female one. And three of us. And this time I had, an, I had two other like, people I could talk to. And so when the photographer was not involved, then I would ask, oh, how did you get into this? Oh, it was from art modeling. And the other, the other gal, I asked you, would, how did you, uh, did you also? She said, um, well, I do something else on the side. I said, what do you mean something else on the side? And she, I'll tell you after the session. So from there, I remember I had really liked this gal. I really liked her a lot. She was Brazilian as well. And she was cool. And we hung out. And she is the one who introduced me to um, erotic massaging. And that's when I, uh, I mean, she just said what she did. And from there, I thought, oh, and you make how much? At that time, 60 bucks for an hour. And with a happy ending, you can do a hundred. And she's the one who showed me the ropes, so to speak. She's the one who definitely got me in. And she said, I'm looking for, there's all this dog background. I'm looking for, I'm looking for, Rosemary, podemos cerrar esa puerta, esa ventana? Porfis. No, es que le puso esa cosa. Gracias. Es que esos perrotes. Ay, gracias, Rosemary. Ah, so, so it was she who introduced me and, uh, and she talked about it with both of us, the other, other, um, the other erotic model. And she said she's looking for boys because some of her clients were looking for men, were looking for young men. And I was hesitant. I, I, th I think in the beginning, I was just sort of amazed that she's talked about it so candidly. So like it was nothing, like it was just going to work at like Dunkin' Donuts or something, you know? She just said, I did. I do erotic massage. I'm a masseuse. I do erotic massages, and this is how I do it. And it was so normal. And the other art model was hesitant. We both looked at each other, but he was more braver, braver than I am. So he said, "Sure, I'll, I'll look into what you do." And so I, I then felt like <laughs> this is peer pressure. <laughs> I then felt at that time. I thought, well, if he could do it, maybe I could do it too. And it's just like this lip, this just keeps going and going from, from, it was from art, from art modeling to erotic modeling to then uh, uh, erotic massages. And she had this connection with this photographer and he, I had learned later on, was one of, his, one of her clients, one of the people who he, he, uh, she massaged for. I, she was amazingly gorgeous. Uh, I loved everything about her just the way she carried herself her power and uh and she would speak spanish there's a lot of people from brazil that i learned that they can speak spanish so well 
And we don't, we Spanish speakers don't learn Portuguese. It doesn't, they learn Spanish. And she learned it through watching novelas, <laughs> soap operas. <laughs> uh, so I, I really liked her. And I wanted to have a relationship with her. I remember that. And so I think by impressing her or trying to have this relationship with her, <coughs> I wanted to prove that I was also as confident and as, as, um, brave as her the way she embodied herself i just admired her so much so i took up one of her clients one day and it was i told her i don't know how to massage i don't know how to she's just like watch me and you don't have to say anything you don't have to be licensed this is underground like you don't have to do anything you don't and so you go to the studio and this is at the same art studio. You can go there or they had another massage parlor. And I went there in the back and people would come like normal. And if you were a client and you requested these things, you were in the sort of hush-hush about it. And, and we would be there. It was now the three of us who were working there. The other guy eventually, I don't know what he decided to do. He wasn't around anymore. I stuck around. And I learned the ropes. I learned how to massage. and. Most people, and you don't really have to learn that much because most people who were there coming for those kind of sessions were looking for more than a massage. So if it was just tactile touch, that was fine with them. And then it was a happy ending. From there, it went to, <coughs> so I, I decided to do this for some time and I made good money. I was staying at a hotel. I don't know why. That was the stupidest thing I did because it was so much money to stay in a hotel, but I stayed in a hotel. Yeah. And just to follow this is like during that time of the erotic modeling, there was that moment where you kind of were uncomfortable with what was being asked of you when it was like another person was coming in and you were both supposed to masturbate. But then yeah. you kind of passed through that. You got through that discomfort and you went in, you went through it. How are you? And then, of course, you go from there to three people involved. And these are photographs, not not pictures. Right? Yeah. Photograph. Um, are you still, are, are you now becoming comfortable? Like, how would you describe what your, the process as you go from that to then massages, to happy endings, to what's, what is, what is your experience? Um, you described it as being naive, you know, for not doing that. I'm not sure. Like, I mean, I'm thinking, I, I think, think you know, but what's going, how are, how, how, what's going on for you during that transition as you move deeper and deeper into more and more, um, you know, kind of like, uh, the, what, what people understand is like the sex work. Yeah. So I think for me, it was feeling weird with an older man photographing me than with someone around my age teaching me about to do this. There was a huge difference from that. So this creepy person asking me to start doing pornographic scenes with other models to my peer saying, hey, this is cool. <laughs> sort of that shift did something for me and i i did feel uncomfortable when i was with her and we were talking about it and how she talked about sex work and she said oh whatever it's nothing you know i just make this much money when she would talk about it this way i i felt i could be the same it was almost mimicking i was look again i was finding my way i was an awkward jehovah's witness kid <laughs> i felt like with her, I was finding my way with her and I was learning how to 
be like her. It was for for sure. All of this was a reaction to my the backlash towards my my upbringing was everything that they taught me not to do. I'm going to al carajo do it, you know. And with her, it was it was just this. It was it made it easy to to to. I don't think I registered what I was doing. I think it was more, it made it easy just to do it. It was like going to the club for the first time, you know, or going and drinking for the first time or smoking a cigarette for the first time or, or doing weed for the first time. It, it felt like that. It was exhilarating. But then when I was alone in these sessions by myself with just the client, I did feel uncomfortable. And I kind of doubted in these moments, what am I doing? What, what am I like touching some person, some 40 year old, and they're asking me to do this and they're asking me to do that. And then they're asking now they're asking other things. You know, I remember there were a few clients who would grab me really tightly. And I was skinny. I'm, I'm not as skinny as I was. But I was very thin. And I, although I was a strong person because I rock climbed. And they, they, they would grab me and then <coughs> take me directly to their private area. Like even 30 minutes, not even 30 minutes within the session which is supposed to last for about 60 minutes. I, I remember just saying, hold on. Just hold. I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how to say, um, give me a second or let's transition to that. Or don't touch me like that, please. Or if you're too physical this way, we're going to end the session early or something. I didn't know how to say any of that. And so I was, I was sort of, forced sometimes my physically although it was consensual because i was there because i also was working right i had to finish the job what later on became difficult was when people were seeking more services like uh sex basically when they wanted penetration uh, when they wanted toys to be involved or when they wanted to take me home or when they started stalking <laughs> When after work, they would be around. <laughs> and this was sort of uh, new to me. And I would ask, uh, what should I name her? Because I don't want to say her name. I'll just say she was Lisa. I'll say Lisa. I, I would ask Lisa, um, what do you do? She was so used to this. So she did put her boundaries. But I later found out she, if they paid her well enough, that she would sleep with some of these people. I, I don't know if I wanted to go that far. That was for me my no. I, I just would lie and say, oh, I have a partner, or I, 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 I'm, I, I have, I have a, a an STI, or and that didn't work. And uh, some of these people actually had STIs, and I thought, oh my goodness, I never got one. Luckily. But I would do what's digital sex, right? Digital sex is using your hands. So I would, I would do a lot of digital sex. And, uh, and then when I talked to Lisa about it, she was like, well, it's no biggie if you do something else. You know, if you, if you just do whatever, like if you do some role playing or if you decide to go home with someone and you give them a peep show or you do this, you don't have to let them go all the way. And she needed someone else, again, to do an act and I said sure because I liked her and so I went and I did an act with her uh, a sexual act and we got paid both half each and that's how it started so from there I think it was knowing how to do this 
without feeling so uh, like new. It wasn't new anymore now at this point. I did feel some shame in the fact that I, my mom would ask me, what are you doing for work? Or how are you surviving? Or do you need money? Or my dad would be wondering if I'm all right. And I would say, oh, I'm, I'm working. I don't worry about it. Or I, I'm fine. Um, when I began to knew other sex workers that I got introduced to, there was this competitiveness. I had no idea that people were competitive. And if I charge a certain thing, people would get upset because I didn't know how much to charge. I didn't know how much to charge to go to someone's home and just to self-stimulate myself. I was charging cheap. I thought it was, well, self-stimulating myself. That's normal. I'm 18 years old. I can do that over there. I mean, I think I can. And I charged, what, $50? People were charging 100 And they say, don't charge that much because you're, 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 that's not fair on us. Um, so the wages, it was about, now it was wage competition. It was also vanity. A lot of vanity, I will say, especially around gay guys. I don't like the way that some of the sex workers, gay sex workers were. Um, and I met trans workers. And uh, there were women. Women always get paid more in this industry than men. That's just the fact. That's what I've always known in, in doing erotic massages or if you're doing, they're more requested. Um, or doing uh, prostitution, or if you're just webcamming women, whatever it is, women are always going to be requested more than men. And uh, the industry is quite high for them. Um, but that comes with a lot of, of consequences, a lot of things that happen to them. And as a guy, I know that I, I could get away with things that I'm sure women, uh, some, of my, some of my coworkers were not... Um, were very afraid of. Uh, some of them were manhandled, grabbed horribly, uh, and things that I did not experience. I experienced some of those things, but to the degree of what they've experienced and the way they just casually just, oh, it's nothing, or yeah, it grabbed me too hard by the neck or something. And it was just, it was just, I just told them, please stop. It was like, well, you just like that? <laughs> I would be freaking out. <laughs> you should not ever let someone do that, you know? But you get into involved in, and you just don't, you don't think twice about it when it happens often, too much. Um, and people really did, for money, they would do actual um, sex work, like, I mean, actual sex work, actual uh, full-on full uh, uh, prostitution. So there was that, yeah. Um, did you, well, I'm curious, I guess, two-part question, you know, how you, because obviously you're coming off, you know, like the Jehovah Witness experience, you know, growing yeah. into yourself, finding out about the world, you know, and yet you still are trying to shed this frame of the world, right, that you were indoctrinated into. So I wonder two things. So what were you feeling? You know, like, did you ever have any feelings of shame or doubts, you know, like, even though you've already done this a bunch of times and two like did you talk to other uh you know sex workers about this and how you guys felt about it mm. uh there was shame uh there was excitement there was also this rebellious nature like i said but there was this shame i did feel shame 
because there were moments that sometimes reminded me of what I was doing was not normal. And when people actually wanted something and I said no, then people would call me a bunch of names and treat me like trash or treat other coworkers like trash. So uh, I was told how I was told many times I'm how fucking ugly I was or how stupid I was or how what a whore I was or I'm a I'm a I'm a little bitch or whatever or I was called names or you know sometimes I was just told um that was good for nothing but other just to be fucked I was a whole to be fucked and that's what I needed to be and I didn't want to be that and uh so I think those were reminders like thinking crap like I am involved in this, am I not? Like, how am I involved? How did I get into this? And I think that you build thick skin over time, and then you also build this reliance on your on your friends. Are part of it. I kind of stayed away from other males. They were some of them were very um, very hard to find heterosexual for me in my community that I was in the East Coast. Hard to find uh, uh, heterosexual male workers. Mostly they were bi or gay. Um, for females, women, I, I, I got closer to them. Uh, but they were, they were also jaded in many ways. Some of them were doing drugs. Um, I mean, this, we're all kind of young here. I, I didn't, we were amongst our type community there in the studio uh, where we were at the massage parlor where now we were being solicited for sex or for acts or for other kind of modeling. And we were like, they weren't hiring at this parlor. They were not hiring um, uh, uh, older folks. So I didn't get a chance to have some mentorship or some sort of uh, guidance from other people who probably were been in this industry or done this work in this field for a while. And so we were all kind of learning from each other. I think we were growing up with each other. Uh, I, I know that I had certain values and I would tell them like, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't allow to do that. I was being kind of brotherly to some people, but overall, I, I think talking about our feelings was too hard. There were some people who had run away from home. Other people were students that dropped out. Other, other, others were sort of finding their way and they lived in Boston. They had a, I love their accent in Boston. <laughs> Very strong. Like, a very strong um, Massachusetts East Coast accent, and, and I love the way they were. They just like their sort of careless attitude. Uh, I didn't find there were not other Latinos. I didn't have any Latino. I mean, Brazilians are Latino, but I didn't consider them to like. I, they didn't speak Spanish with me, but other Latinos, Spanish speaking, I was the only one. What else? I mean, I the shame that I felt was somehow. I did cry a lot in the sense that I felt lost. I didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't know where I was going. And that was more powering than overpowering than shame of what I was doing because no one knew me here. Who would I be shamed in front of? And God was dying to, in my head. I was losing God. So who did I have to be accountable to? So shame was slowly uh, dying away from what I was feeling was loss. I felt that this existential thoughts of, what is next for me? I feel trapped. I felt trapped. I didn't know, okay, are you going to school or you're not going to school? Are you going to study? Are you going to work? Are, are like, you can't not do this forever. And 
I didn't know how to move past that. And I just drew and wrote a lot. So I have my journals, which are in San Francisco. And a few of them are in Mexico. And I had uh, recordings, some video recordings, but those were not like sexual recordings. Those were just fun recordings of going out. But I would spend time by myself. I remember walking in Boston. I have pictures just walking and taking the, 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 the I don't know if they call it the metro, but the tube. I forget what they call it now. But I would just walk. I would just walk a lot and deal with my sadness. And especially when you're in autumn, the the way that everything looks and then your feelings and then your work <laughs> just didn't feel, everything was just feeling horrible. I remember feeling just, oh, it's so sad. No purpose in life. I have no God. I have no direction. I don't have a religion that guided me. That was my compass for the rest for 18 years of my life. Now, what do I do? I have nothing. I have, I feel like Siddhartha. I also read the book at that time. I felt like, you know, um, uh, Herman Hissi's book. I read, I read that book at the time. I don't know if you'll like, that's probably like high school literature. And I just didn't know if I should, where, where should I go in this place? So I don't know. I feel like my story is quite boring. I don't think there's anything interesting about it. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, why are people messaging me when this is the most, I want to talk about what's happening here in Colombia and politics, but people are asking about my life. Well, I mean, that's, I guess that's the, kind of the bridge. Like I, I, I'm curious to know if you see like similarities, you know, in, in the stories of people mm. talk to, you know, in, cause you, you, you talked about like, in the last episode you talked about some sort of like mentorship that you or like that you provided to certain people you know at least like with the warnings right of some of the perils of, of you know engaging in these activities for survival right um and so yeah i guess if there is a bridge maybe yeah I'll, yeah that's a good thought that's yeah andy um well my mine was sort of still a question of the that of the kind of work you were in at that time which is if i understand right then most of your people who are your clients or people who are you're doing this stuff with uh they're they're much older than you mostly mostly and, and yeah are you, are you tending to see like just a, an array of different folks come in is it are there regulars how does that work okay and then so I think you should go to Kenny's Kenny's thing. Yes, then I'll go to so I that's a good question. So I and then Jessica Jessica. Jessica. Well, you can answer that, but I just had one more question, I think that would make sense before you pivot to Colombia. Sure. But go ahead, answer do anything. So I want to state that first I should say sex work covers anything from traditional sex work that is prostitution to anything technological to this day where people are now doing virtual. Uh, it can cover anything from, 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 like I said, being in a corner, that's what most people think of when they think of sex work. It could be pornography. It could be, uh, you know, what I also did later on, which was sexual surrogate, sex, uh, your sex surrogate, uh, when you work with people with disabilities. Uh, it could be anywhere from sex therapy and you could also be just another erotic model. Uh, and, uh, you could also provide, uh, let's see what else. There's also, 
BDSM, uh, people also dominatrix, which I also, I dabbled into. I wasn't very good at that, but I just wanted to see those experiences. And so it could, it's a, it's a, it's a whole array of things. And so anywhere from that, people often ask me, so you act, were you actually, did you actually go and let people penetrate you? And I say, well, that is one form of sex work, but there's all these other forms. You don't have to just do that. Uh, I've done some virtual, but not like on online streaming services. I've done it with people who are far away, who've liked me and kept me as, as their, as their uh, model. And they want to keep having that relationship with me. Uh, the services I have provided have been uh, erotic massaging, have been uh, erotic modeling, have been um, peep shows, have been, I've worked in, in, in the USA, started then in Mexico and in the UK, I've worked in uh, France and I did it for some time um, when I was traveling abroad uh, and when I was also living in the UK for some time because I didn't have any way to make a good living um, other than like, oh, I didn't have any papers at the time. So I, I found this work when I was working in the music festival scene. <clears throat> I worked in Bristol. And so maybe just, you might know some of these places, Bristol and Cornwall, and I worked in London and I worked in Leeds and I worked in Birmingham up in the UK and in Scotland and in Edinburgh. And so they, they, were, they were good jobs that I got paid for. And uh, so the actual service I think that has been most requested of me has been uh, being of re like awakening and exploring uh, a, a sexual side of themselves that they weren't able to explore before. Uh, in San Francisco, I worked with primarily uh, gay men who are older, who are no longer have partners or are able to have sexual uh, sexual experiences, but they would rather have an escort uh, and pay someone. There, there are lots of people who pay for that. Uh, I worked in Pacific Heights with women who were never able to have an orgasm and, and they had been married for a long time. And so I gave erotic massages there through word of mouth and I had to, I had a kid at the time, so I had to pay bills and, you know, working as an educa educator uh, in San Francisco, I didn't get paid as much, especially not when you are, uh, you know, site support, such as me, as I was in a, a para interpreter and even teachers don't get paid that much. So how was I supposed to pay the bills of my kid? Like, and I'll name him Carlitos. And, like, I didn't have a way to pay for a lot of the things that I, I had to take him to abroad, I had private school and summer camps. And, you know, he wanted braces. And, and so I had to get him braces. And, and, and so I, I knew that when I was younger, when I was, what, 25, 26, I knew when I was younger, I had done this work before. So I just decided the people who wanted me, again, who had been in my contact list, I decided to contact them back and said, look, if you're looking for anyone, I'm around. And most of the work that I found later on, because I left the East Coast, was through Craigslist and Backpage, which got shut down. <laughs> so when these things got shut down, I wasn't able to find much. My I, I had ceased working by the time 2016 happened. Uh, in the in the UK, it was easier because in the music festival scenes, especially in some of the festivals, they were quite liberal about these topics. And so I would just hand out my number and say, "Well, I work as." you know, as a worker, and this is what I do. This is my specialty. I provide uh, for women, especially, I would provide um, 
a way to achieve orgasms. Um, it's not guaranteed, but it's a development to that stage. And for men, if they uh, erectile dysfunction disorder, uh, or for people who had traumatic experiences, I wouldn't say I was a sex therapist because I never could claim that. But I just say, you know, I reached with people the level of comfort that people can feel secure and safe with me in their bodies and explore. Most of the people that I've been, I've worked with were um, heterosexual men and because on the down low, they were many times on the down low, especially in Mexico uh, and, uh, and women. But they always say like, you know, it's interesting because in Mexico, we do have a sex industry, but it's, it's one of the top, not the top, top of Latin America, uh, but it is there. It's subtle. It's very subtle. And it's mostly, I've noticed <laughs> women, which don't get talked about a lot. Uh, it's sort of romantic getaways that they'll call it. Whereas if you are a guy, it's like sex tourism, right? It's so harsh. And so, but for women, there are in Cancun and, and you find in Puerto Vallarta, they will hire Mexican boys or that people work like in Cihuatanejo. There were many of those that would come. Uh, and I would be amazed at how much is not talked about women who actually do find, uh, in, in, in Mexico, I've seen it, in, uh, find uh, romantic getaways where they're getting, they're paying boys here, right? Like I'm talking about 18 year olds, 18 year olds, 20 year olds. And so I learned about that and I felt comfortable enough to explore those areas. And in Santa Cruz, there is a community of people who are, uh, I, I got to know. Uh, when I came back to the West Coast, uh, of people were trying to help women achieve orgasms because, again, the men have refractory periods, and sometimes men in relationships with women don't provide sexual gratification. It's just a fact in many relationships. And so there was uh, in Santa Cruz, very open minded liberal uh, community, there were people uh, talking in sex workshops about how to. Uh, uh, achieve that women leading other women and also men who were interested in working as uh, sex massage mas masseuses um, with happy endings for women. And so I got connected to that and then word of mouth. And so I worked in Pacific Heights in San Francisco where people were requesting that. Uh, and I want to state that sex is actually something very good. I think that it's, I'm very sex positive. I, where I, I think it gets tricky is when you start getting into, like, I have people who I know that work in the porn industry where they get abused and exploited for, and, and wage theft. And then there are people who definitely get sex trafficked. There's that dark side, of course, but shutting down Backpage and shutting down Craigslist, all of that made us go into the underground, into figuring out how we were going to, I mean, I understand there was sex trafficking going on, even child abuse going on. But I have always been of the mind that you can actually use Backpage and Craigslist to find those criminals instead of shutting the whole thing down. It was part of Kamala Harris's effort to win her senatorship back in, when was it? I forget now, the year, 2000 something, 2016, 2015, I forget. But she was trying, she was a attorney general and she said, well, this is a sex trafficking site and they raided the CEO of Backpage and all of that. You can find online articles around that. But for the rest of us who were working in the underground, we were using those sites. <laughs> I was using those sites. Go ahead, Kenny. Oh, yeah. Jessica had a question though, too, though. So. Just about Backpages and like the persecution yeah. 
accident that's happened in San Francisco uh, because in the process of gentrifying the city, they've tried to clean up, quote unquote, you know, certain areas like the cap right in San Francisco. And, you know, like when, one thing that I guess uh, people who are aware of the sex industry here is that when Backpages and Craigslist is shut down, people have to, you know, like people who would get work, sex work through those pages would have to go to the street. Not everyone. And so they are more in danger in, in certain ways. So that's one critique of these, you know, uh, clamping down in censorship, essentially. That happens all the time here. Um, and I know that because my, my partner, she works with people who have been sex trafficked and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and yet that is a very normal thing to do, like to support this. In the, in the name of protecting women, they persecute and, and put a lot of people in peril because they take away their self-determination, whatever degree there is, you know, through those uh, pages. From there, I decided, uh, I, had, I went back to San Francisco, that's for sure. And then I flew back and I said, I'm going to do something else. But I didn't know how to, <laughs> I mean, I think I, the mindset that knowing how much money you can make so easily, quick, and how used to you, you were, I think that I decided to look at Craigslist for those those uh, classified sections for people seeking sexual services. And when I looked at it, I thought, oh, I can do that. That's, that's something I already did, or that's something I can try out, or it wouldn't be so bad since I'm in San Francisco. It's not that bad because it's, I, you know, it's something I already had experienced. And that's what happened. Yeah. Question about those Craigslist ads, like, was there like a code that, you know, that you could decipher? Was it just blatant, like out there? Like no, if you look, well, at least at the time, I don't know how it was, if they're putting up like restrictions or whatever later. But for me, it was just going to the part where it said, um, I think it was sexual encounters or missed encounters. I forget now, something like that. There was a small section. And then there's men for men, women for women. And then there are erotic services. And then you look at the classifieds and then they're dated. And then you can see and I would just email and I was just, this is the way you would do things. And I don't know why people think that you can't find people if Craigslist and because now people use Facebook for it. And I know people here in Colombia who have found other people through Facebook. It's not, you don't need a Craigslist here. They don't, they wouldn't use Craigslist It's all through Facebook. I know one of the sex workers here who was 13 years old who was contacted by someone in another country at 13 or 12, 12 or 13, and flew all the way out here just to have sex with. So it can happen. Now this person, I should state, if we're going to add this part, this story, that um, I should state this person is now 22 years old. Uh, but to me, it's amazing how connected you can be. I think if they're going to take down Backpage, you should take down Facebook. <laughs> basically in the beginning when i first went to the east coast i knew somebody and then i didn't talk to that person and so i stayed in benches or in churches where i remember i could stay in where they were giving charity work or they gave people i didn't want to stay in a homeless shelter so i paid hotels and those were expensive and i would go eat out a lot and so with this money you felt very comfortable and I didn't gain weight like I do now, so I would eat a lot. <laughs> so I ate a lot, <laughs> a lot of food. And, and 
And it felt good to have this money. And then I would go outside of Boston area to other places like Salem and explore uh, New Hampshire and explore other places in the East Coast, which are really cool. You know, you have these beautiful states nearby and you'd go to New York and it's so easy. Just it's everything in that New England is so that that part of the, the USA is so special to me because I remember just taking these trips with the money that I made. So I didn't really save any money if you're asking to answer your question. So the money that I made was good, but the money that I also made was something I used for my travels to get to know New England, you know, and to be in the harbors and just, just the, the seas that I, I love the East coast. That to me is most wonderful memories I had. And then going to Pennsylvania and going down, I felt guilty going to New York because I stayed away because the headquarters of the Jehovah's Witnesses were in New York. So I felt, I felt if I went to New York, I'd be betraying my own faith. So I just avoided New York. <laughs> um, well, so as far as I understand right then, we're talking about why, you, why the story started at, 18, at the age of 18 You've been spanning space that continues for over a decade, basically, right? Like in terms of involvement in, in this industry, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, how, well, reflecting back on that experience, because I do want to then connect it to the, what you're doing in Colombia yeah. and like that, but yeah, yeah. even before you do that, what do you, because you, you were you were attempting to rebel, right? Forget you, Jehovah's Witness, I'll decide myself and and reflecting back on this on this long experience in this area and in this industry yeah um, what would you say was would you say what would you say are positive that came out of it and what do you feel like are the are the things that have been the price you paid well positive and the price i paid how about this is where i'm beginning to feel at this point judged by the viewers and i'm beginning to feel like i want to <laughs> shut down this entire episode so how about how about we watch that video that I told you? If you can just play it for yeah. us, because I I think I'm beginning to feel very judged, even though it's just the three of you. But I need to remember that, you know, we live in such a hypocritical world. People, the people who are probably going to see this and are going to judge me forth on these taboo subjects, like. I just want to say for anyone, most, this is why I think sexuality is so complicated because most of the people I've encountered were from anywhere from straight to older women to lesbians or whatever. And all it was just, it was, I've had more people come to me uh, later on who were on the down low trying to experience their first experience with someone who was safe enough to be with like me as a man or with women who have struggled with their sexuality because they were repressed as well. So it, I just don't, and, and people who are going to sit there and judge me and look at me or judge anyone who is in this industry and this field, I'm sure a majority of them have already watched porn. They've already seen enough and they've enjoyed themselves watching workers, but they judge and they're, and they're really Christian and they're really Mormon, whatever they want to be. But so I, I, I feel like this is hypocriticalness in society judging this field of work. Why don't we play that video, Andy? Because I'll answer your question. 
answer yeah. your question. And this is a video that you sent me, and it was made in Colombia, correct? No, 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 no. This is a Spanish video. Okay. And this is for the uh, Barcelona's Erotic Festival. And this is this woman here. She's a she's a porn actress. She's a porn star, and she says some pretty powerful things in this video. And this video was made in 2016. Uh, it's called Homeland or Patria, and it's in Spanish, but it has English subtitles. And it's about uh, just in her country, but really in society, anywhere you can apply to, how much there is uh, this disingenuous attitude of people who judge. So maybe we'll just watch it. My name is Amarna Miller. I'm a porn star, and I was born in a hypocritical country where the same people calling me a whore jerk off watching my videos. A country that loves life, but allows killing in the name of art. A country outraged at corruption that still votes for thieves where they save the same banks that evict thousands of families. A country that says it is secular while decorating the Virgin Mary. That treats migrants as heroes and immigrants like trash. A country where those who are supposed to be moral guardians can be the most dangerous where prostitution is still not legal, but where the number of clients grow every year. A country that is supposed to be open and tolerant, where a referee receives death threats for being gay. Yes, we live in a disgustingly hypocritical country, but some of us do not give up. But I don't know if anyone wants to make a comment to that. I'll just say it's caused a lot of controversy, made waves. And it's something that I often think about when people, I've made a, like, I've, I'm now, I'm now in my thirties and I'm still trying to come to terms with some of this stuff. I've only shared this really with my partner. And then I started taking, ther I, I, I started doing therapy uh, with uh, a Mexican psychiatrist, really wonderful therapist. And through those conversations with my partner, with uh, conversations with my therapist, I've able to sort of come out and share some of this past of mine. And then I talk about it. And then suddenly I'm told, what? You? You did that? Why would you do that? Or how could you ever get to that place? Or wait a minute. You did? You did what? You you were a whore or you were, <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's, I don't know. It's difficult to talk about something like this. So personable. And I know people who are in this in, uh, field and feel the same way. And so it's challenging. And I don't know if you all want to say about anything before I answer your question. And so. Well, I guess I would, because we've been doing many episodes together and this is a big jump to, to some of the stuff you shared before to sharing something that is very personal. Um, so I guess I would want to know if you're okay with like, at least for me, you know, like for Kenny or Jess, Jessica, has it been okay to share with us? With the three of you, it's all right. I feel very comfortable sharing with that, with the three of you. Uh, 
but this is going on yeah the cloud of the internet forever and ever <laughs> yeah so okay. um, so i'm stumbling around it no i feel like you've done uh, a comprehensive and excellent job giving a context to it you know because i personally i would say anybody i know you but i think anybody who's been following this show if i feel like you've given them everything to understand so walk a person walk us through how a person kind of goes and goes there and 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 and, and things that i wouldn't have necessarily known how does a person go from here and get to there but mm. i think you've helped me understand that it's just a it's just a road you know you just if you yeah you don't just it, wake up one day and Right. And decide and, to work in this. <laughs> but I, I, so, I mean, for me, I do, I do connect it to what, to me, I do connect it to an abusive experience in Jehovah's Witness. I do mm. connect, and I, I associate abuse with the erosion of boundaries, mm. you know, like, and that's usually people who are recovering from abuse have to learn how to build boundaries for themselves. And that is the common, maybe, thread that I hear is, Maybe an industry is not going to teach you, doesn't necessarily, well, they did partly teach you where you could say no, but if you've had that experience where you've been abused and your boundaries have been taken down hard, this would be an area where that could be taken advantage of, um, where you're, where you feel you're not, you do not feel empowered to put those boundaries back up. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing I can say. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, uh, you know, like, like you said, Lips, I, I like the way you put it. This is a road, right? Because in some ways I identify with Eduardo, you know, when, when I was in college and I was young and I was, I don't know where the fuck I was going. And I also wrote Bart when I was at UC Berkeley and was suicidal. You know, I was mm. trying to grab my way and I didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to, you know, and I was a disappointment to my family because I didn't do what they expected and not just my family, but all the people that invested time in me, you know, because I was this exceptional student. So I don't want to make this story about me, you know, because, but I do identify, you know, in, in some ways. I also identify with the, the, the level of shame because, uh, you know, maybe some other episode we'll, we'll talk about my growing up within the context of the sex work. You know, that's something that Eduardo, when we first had this conversation, was kind of surprised to that, you know, like sort of my story, right? That, 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 in you know how like that's why my perceptions on sex and morality are so different than a lot of people because my upbringing was around sex work. A lot of the kids I grew up with were, you know, kids whose mothers were sex workers, and my mother provided you know a space for them to work safely. Um, so condoms, all that was normal. But uh, but I do know that the shame, you know, of talking about your story with relation to sex work. You know, because that's how we made us. That's how we, my family, survived. Not, not that my mother was doing sex work, but she was running a place where sex work was happening. You know, and, and we couldn't talk about that. And even when I wrote my story for college, you know, I that part wasn't included because I was so ashamed. The part that was included to make it to college, right, for supposedly to advance, was about me being in quote unquote, at risk student in San Francisco in the Mission District as a Latino man. Never mind that story, you mm -hmm. know, and because again, it does carry a lot of weight. And I, so this video that you just showed brings a lot, you know, and like from you because even in my last, one of my relationships, I'm not gonna name names, but I had an open relationship in San Francisco, a supposedly very liberal, you know, city, 
that's supposed to be sex positive and shit. There was so much judgment, no mm-hmm. questions, no. <laughs> and, and same living in another country, you know, people finding out that I had a, you know, an open relationship, uh, judging and, you know, immediately saying why, you know, and, 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 but at the same time, at the time, I remember the answer being, this is hypocritical because a lot of you, your parents are in open relationships. They just don't talk about it. Right. And it's very likely that your dad is fucking around. You know, a lot of women fuck around, but they don't say it. You know, they're more discreet about it. This shit happens all the time. It just doesn't get talked about. You know, yeah. so there's a lot of hypocrisy in, in terms of, you know, so I do see that, right? Like the, and, and so, and I guess to kind of wrap it up a little bit, so I do appreciate you sharing that story, um, you know, because it does, I imagine, takes a lot. You know, it's a very vulnerable thing to do. But, uh, you know, yeah. I personally, I don't, I, I see it just as another story, <laughs> you know, because of, mm-hmm. of the many that I've heard, you know, and, and people trying to make it and survive and, and find their way. Yeah, I'll just add, I mean, this has been a really interesting episode. Um, I mean, like both Andy and Kenny said, I, I think it's pretty courageous to to share this much, Eduardo. And um, so, yeah, I appreciate you putting yourself out there like that. I think in terms of like the stigma thing, you know, I mean, I have my own opinions and stuff on this, on the whole sex work industry and and this has particularly been an interesting conversation just because um I feel like most if not every perspective I've heard like personal perspective I've heard on the sex industry has been like through the lens of women um and so it's really interesting to hear a man's experience Mm. and I feel like I'm gonna have to just kind of sit with it for a while and I hope we have more conversations because I like I yeah I mean just in terms of um like you did an amazing job of kind of like laying out your whole story but I feel like we would need like several more hours to even just like for you Eduardo to like reflect on it or analyze it let alone for the three of us to like jump in and you know connect it to our stances and our politics and our experiences and all of that but I just wanted to add um in terms of the stigma thing and and like the video that we just played, um, I think there's a weird, like, just in terms of the culture and discourse around this industry, like there's on one end of the spectrum, people who totally demonize it, but demonize like the wrong people. Like they're, they're putting the stigma on you putting the stigma on prostituted women or, or even traffic, right? Like putting, putting the, the stigma on like workers, I guess, if we want to use the sort of Marxist framing as opposed to like the industry part of it. Right. And, and when we talk about, when we get to like sex industry, global South versus global North and like, what are the differences and stuff? Like, I mean, this, goes all the way up to like the world bank and the IMF. Right. And, and, and the sex industry is huge in terms of (laughs) economies and GDP. And so like the exploitation is coming from like the most powerful centers of power um, at every level of hierarchy, like both class hierarchy, um, race, 
sex as in like gender sex, um, all of it. Right. So yeah, I mean, and the, the video did a good job, I think of kind of spotlighting that hypocrisy, but then I think there's also the other end of the spectrum with the sort of postmodern, like sex positivity and like sex work is sick, sex work is work, like that whole like neoliberal mantra, which in my opinion tends to, and we, we don't really have to like get all into this in this episode, but I think it, it does the opposite of like, almost like covering over those power relations, right? Um, and I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to hear Eduardo, like your thought on even just like that term of like sex work is work. And like, is it like, yes, of course there's huge um, overlap in terms of um, just like workers at large and the challenges and um, like circumstantial restrictions of our life. Like, of course you felt trapped, right? Like probably all four of us feel or have felt trapped in our jobs at some point, but I think, I don't think sex work is just like any other job. And I think that some of the, especially like the sort of leftist um, discourse right now and the, the, and a lot of it, like, especially on the grassroots level, I think it's coming from a good place of like wanting to get rid of that stigma and wanting to like support workers. But in the process, I feel like the mainstream left has just arrived at a totally like uncritical stance on what is like at large an extremely violent and exploitative industry, right? Not saying every person who's involved in it is, is, you know, some sort of like monster, right? Like, again, you're putting stigma on the wrong (laughs) group of people. Um, I don't know. Does that, is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, I have, so I, I feel for me in, the percentage of us that that have survived and been uh, take have more control over the, our own work, right? And are are, are just it's a, a very small percentage. It's here in other countries where I'm in Mexico and here in Colombia where I have realized that that level of control that I try to share isn't the concept is not there because I need to work. I, what are you talking about saying no to some someone that is going to pay me a very good price when I need to pay all these bills? I need to do these things. And I'm trying to communicate, you are in control and you have to say, this is not okay. These are what my boundaries are. Like I have learned over time. I can only speak like that because I have other income. Like I've worked so many other ways, right? I was an educator. I was a tutor. I was a, a waiter. I was... Uh, I worked uh, as a translator. I've worked as an interpreter. I've worked like there are other ways I've learned over the years, over since I've been since I was eighteen, that I've learned how to do other work. But if you are in a country where you are limited with your opportunities, your level of saying no <laughs> isn't the same level as me saying no. I'm I can I've learned that here more than anything, even talking about with people here, especially with women. Uh, there isn't that same understanding, I realized. This is something I've come across. So uh, so I feel that sometimes the Western way of thinking or the 
neoliberalist way of thinking that you're talking about, Jessica, about sex work is just work, it's empowerment, it's my body, my choice, and all of this way of thinking is is wonderful if you can get to that space and if you can be in control, but that's not how it happens. There's exploitation that happens. People are trafficked. People are, and I'm, I, and like I said, my experience in the East coast that it wasn't, it wasn't like your stereotypical pimping out people. Right. But it was, you are trapped in a world sometimes where you feel like, these are your community. These are your spaces. These are your people. These are, and you don't have nothing else. You don't have anything else. And then there's the other private stuff that happens that I know has happened to me and has happened to other colleagues of mine where I remember being in Bristol and being held hostage. And I was in the UK and I had to, I had to work. I didn't have any money in, and I, I had my, I, you know, I have, I had a kid with me at that time and we had to go to Bristol and, and, and on the way there, I remember having a client from a music festival and I, and I, and I charged something and they said, well, you didn't give me a full on experience. And I said, well, what was that experience? What did I just do? I mean, I gave you a happy ending. I gave you a massage and everything. And they were giving me, um, and at the, they gave me 50 pounds. They said, but you didn't give me something else. And I wanted you to do, I wanted like to have sex. That's what I thought this was about. I thought it was insinuated. And I thought, no, no, like there's, I, I'm very clear with what's going to happen. And, you know, close the door, strong, burly Brit. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get out? You know, and that happens. And holding me hard, again, another person, everyone just thinks, just hold someone. Like you can just, we're all just, you know, we're just objects. You can just hold. and. And looking at me directly in my eyes, you're going to stay here until, until, I, until you get fucked. And <coughs> I didn't, I think I, I remember, I'll call my kid Carlitos, <laughs> was downstairs. This was at an apartment building. I thought to myself, what if I get in trouble for doing, like if I was, I didn't even have a phone. What if I get in trouble for asking or calling the cops to do something about this? or what if he actually does rape me? Or what if I, he beat, he hits me and I fight back? I'm probably not going to get raped, but I'm going to get hit really hard. I don't know what I'm going to, how I'm going to get out of the situation. And he's holding me hostage. Like the door, he's putting locks on it. All I remember saying is like, if you do anything to me, someone's downstairs waiting. <laughs> I'm thinking, what's, what's he going to do? <laughs> but there were moments like that. And another time as well in Vallejo, there was, and he catfished me and I needed to pay. Private school was coming up. Um, the bill was coming up and I had to go to Vallejo. I took my, my car. I left my belongings in the car and I went up to their house. He was not the person I thought. I tried to talk smoothly. I said, look, okay, what do you want? Like, okay, we made the deal in the living room. Like, okay, this is what you want, your experience. He was on the down low. And I went to his room. And by that time, he wanted something else and he pressed his body against me. And he was, he had smelled like smoke, like cigarettes and whiskey. And I really wanted to leave at that point. Cause I knew something was not right. So you can feel when you're, when you do something like this, you just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he did not let me go. He did not let me leave. Another person held me hostage. And I imagine how many people go through this. This is not, if I have escaped and have had <coughs> nothing like this, 
uh, have had experiences like these. I wonder how many people have been raped, how many people have been exploited, how many people were locked up in a car, locked up in a home, or locked up in a basement. Sometimes, like that, that's kind of a, a film scene, but those things do happen. I luckily did not go through those things. People did abuse certain things like they they um you know one person in particular wanted to stick his fingers in my mouth and people have fetishes and he grabbed me really hard and i remember pulling me and holding my head and he taking out his dick and wanting to add i said no and there were people like that and luckily i you know i pushed back and i i just said that's not what we had said and he, you know, he was an older person and he kind of laughed it off. He wasn't as strong, but I, there were moments like these moments where I think back at how many people put themselves at risk in situations like these, you know? Uh, in France, I went up to meet someone. I told them specifically, if we were just going to be in the nude. It was going to, we were going to watch porn together. That's what the, that's what the deal was. They wanted to self, they wanted to mutually self-stimulate each other, us. All right, fine. How much was the pay? A hundred euros. Good. I could use that for for the rest of the week. No, and uh, and it turned out he was doing something else in the bathroom, something completely disgusting, and wanted to play in the bathroom with his feces. And I was not a part. I was not going to do something like that. And so when I wanted to leave, he said, "No, this is what I contracted you for." And people think that you're just going to do some service, like you're just going to. You're just there and they own you because they're paying you. And I don't need your money. But how many people are like are not, they don't have the and and then and my French, I'm 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 yelling at him. I remember yelling at him in French and telling him, like, I, I just don't want to do this. This isn't what we signed up for. And pretending like he didn't understand my French, whatever. So what about the women or the men who can't leave, who can't get away, who are not able to escape these situations, right? If this happened to me, that's why I think, that's why I think there are people, and here also like the webcaming services with not maybe the users on the other side of the platform, but the monitors who are controlling, who tell you, you have to stay in the studio, like the webcaming studios here in Bogota, you work a 12 hour shift and you sleep at the studio and then you wake up to do the same, to do the work, to, to work, you know, like you work, you sleep, you work, you sleep, and that's all your life. And if you don't have a place to sleep, that's where you, and, and you're coming from another province around the capital, you stay here and you stay at the studio and you're overworked <laughs> and you're told to do some crazy things like vomit and on yourself or to spit in a cup and then spill it over you. or you know, I'm trying to describe some of these things and I know that I've kind of danced around it a little bit because it is kind of gross. These are kind of explicit things, but I think it's important for people to know that it's not, these things aren't just like, you just make money and then it's easy. Like people do ask for very weird, awful things. A lot of role playing. Uh, I would say 90, 98% of what happens in this field is exploitative and also uh, necessary to do because of the capitalist system that we live in, right? It's a competitive system and we have to have um, the economy 
drives it uh, in many places. And that's most people's incentive for why they do it, right? Uh, very few people get like porn stars and uh, actual escorts, Very that the percentage of them getting paid a lot, that's a small percentage of people. Uh, and they, they say online on YouTube or whatever, you can find it. Oh, you get paid a lot of money. Uh, I'll say for porn stars that I've spoken to, you don't get paid a lot of money. You don't. Uh, I know that for the work they've done, they don't get a lot, paid a lot of money. I know that I sometimes say that, well, I pay, I got paid this much from anywhere from 60 bucks to 200. Sure. But how many clients a week? And in those in that I'm in control with, right? Like if you only get one client a week or two clients a week, what do I want to do? If I want to make more money, well, I'm just going to have to do more people. I'm going to experience more risks if I want that kind of, if I want to get paid more. But even then you have your bills and stuff. You have to, it's very expensive. Um, so I, I, I have, I have, I have issue. I take issue with people's, my, my choice, my body kind of like, there is this empowerment piece. I respect. I, I have a part of it, some elements of it in my life. Uh, but talking to other workers, I don't, and, and, and also just studying about it, you reading about it. Right. And, and talking one-on-one with other people, I don't feel it's that concept those that framework isn't always present for the majority of people in the for majority of people in this field i just wanted to add i think um like one of the i think people don't want to cast like they don't want to cast sex workers as like lacking in agency right because it's like dehumanizing right to like just like oh that person's a victim right and they are just like just a passive victim and I like I understand I think where that thinking comes from um but one of the things and I I I think I kind of learned this from reading Sheila Jeffries a few years back um is like that idea that you you can have agency, but also be extremely oppressed. And I mean, yeah, it's like, like those two things can both be true at once, right? And that you, you, we oftentimes as workers or especially in this particular industry, right? Like people exercise agency in order to survive the power, um, like relations and, oppressive circumstances within which they are existing through usually no fault of their own. But I think where I lose it is like, you can't call that freedom, right? <laughs> like you can't call that like a, like a, my body, my choice. Like it's not choices happen within material conditions of our lives. Anyone else <laughs> want to comment on that? Maybe I, th- I, I thank you. Jess, Cause I, I, there's elements I think what I'm, I agree with in, in what you're saying. I think I think I, I I agree with you, Jessica. Like I'm very suspicious too of like these generic statements, right? Like that are for me read like a, a liberal gospel in some ways that <laughs> don't fully don't fully understand the nuances. The you know doesn't even care to right. Um, like uh, for example, I, again something controversial. This this over you know the whole liberal gospel over body weight 
same thing, you know, like I'm not judging, you know, people that are, have bigger bodies, right? But let's recognize that there are problems brought to us, uh, you know, as a result of the system that we live in, that, you know, we don't live healthy lives. We don't live, we have very limited choices, you know, in most people, the great majority of the masses. And I think this is where this falls, because to me, this is not that different than someone who hustles drugs in a way, you know, like who might be, you know, at risk of getting shot or, you know, having a short lifespan. Because to some people, some people get it. Like, at least that's just the, the conclusion I've reached at, at this point in my life. That some people know that, you know, should I go to McDonald's and earn $16, you know, and be humiliated too? Because that's a different level of humiliation, you know, or subjection to, to limitations. Or, you know, I can make quicker money you know, and, and buy things and do things, you know, and so gain some degree of freedom in that sense. And, and, and so I think that the sex work question gets a little more um, sensitive because of taboos and moralizing. But mm. in some ways, I don't see that that different than other situations that people find themselves into. Um, and, you know, because again, some people just get it. Like, I'm not saying that I'll do it. I'm gonna go sling drugs on, on, on the road. But the fuckers who run drugs, they know that, you know, they're trying to cheat the system. They're trying to operate outside of the system of normalcy, right? That you go to school, you get a job, you get wages, and this and that. And so, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying. It is complicated. It's both. And, but at the same time, I still bring it back to the fucking fundamental thing. You know, because I, I, I uh, about safety, right, and, and self determination, uh, shit that is taken away from us by participating in this system. You know, my my partner, um, she works uh, with people who have sex traffic. I've heard horrific stories that will turn your stomach. You know, and, and the people who perpetuate this violence are not just one type; it's all sorts of people. You know, people in suits, people in fucking cop uniforms. You know, people very rich people poor people, sons and mothers, you know, there is all this horrific shit that she has to deal with. And my partner's job is to provide housing for these people. And she works in a nonprofit industrial bullshit. And she knows that she's gotten tired of it because everything is built to not provide full, you know, long lasting shelter for people, right? And for me, a lot of this stuff starts from that, from the very fundamentals building blocks of life, which is, you know, food, housing, you know, safety, you know, and all those things that compound to, to give us opportunities to, to actually have some sort of degree of freedom. But, but we are subjected to these market systems in so many ways. And people try different ways to survive in, in, in this, you know, in this system. And so to me, it's not that different. It's not, you know, we're all caught in this shit, you know, in pile, you know, and there is moralizing sometimes within the same sex industry. You know, there's people who look down on people who walk the street. You know, there's people who look down on escorts and they point balls at each other, you know, and, and but everyone's trying to survive, you know? And, and so, and again, some people just find a way to do it outside of just fucking going to work, you know, every day, driving to work every fucking day, you know? And I'm not saying that it doesn't have perils, but I think there is a cost to everyone in some way you know, in the way we live. Um, and so, you know, like there, obviously there are, you know, these extreme cases and I'm not saying that 
they don't happen. I'm not saying that they happen all the time, but there are extreme cases in, in every fucking situation, you know, and, and at the end of the day, to me, that, that's, this is another reason why I'm like so adamant about fucking overthrowing this fucking system because it puts people in vulnerable situations. And then coming out of those vulnerable situations, you know, some people make it through, you know, and fine, and, you know, and, and relative, you know, some people are trapped there for life. And like, so that's why I'm not participant of a particular fucking policy. This and let's fucking overthrow the market system and housing. You know, like if you're serious about fixing some of this shit, you know, that's that that's what I that's why I'm I'm a, I call myself a revolutionary socialist. Because I don't give a shit. I'm not gonna place judgment, you know, like people what they have to do to survive. You know, even the fucking people who work for Uber, like uh, corporate Uber or corporations, people who get jobs, people who work at fucking Amazon. That's why I hate the liberal fucking gospel because it moralizes things, you know, into oh, you're making this bad choice. This is no you want are you serious about it? Let's fucking overthrow this system. You know, we're gonna have to do what the street people in Sri Lanka did. You know, occupy a fucking, you know, houses of power, you know, to get what we want. Occupy the houses that we need for our survival. You know, take over the lands that we need for our survival, for, for life, you know. It, it, and so it's still all tied together to me, you know. And so that's why I don't, I don't try to moralize things because, you know, people do what they have to do. And, and then we're also pin against each other, you know, in the process. And, and, and we all pay a price in some way. Do you think though, well, actually maybe I'll direct this at Eduardo. Like, do you think there's something distinct though about like specifically sexual trauma and sexual exploitation? Cause I, like, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Kenny, but I, I also think that it is in some ways distinct, I think. And I'm not sure I have the words to articulate quite why. So I'm just going to ask Eduardo. Are, are you asking about, is there like a link to... No, I'm, I'm asking, like, I, I think that there, like, yes, there's exploitation happening in, in every area of capitalism. Um, mm. And yes, I agree with, like, the call to action that we, I, 100%. But I'm not sure that I agree that it's like, well, I don't know that this is what you were arguing, but I, I don't I don't think that specifically sexual exploitation can can be kind of like put on the same level as like other types of I, I'm I'm mostly thinking about like other types of ways that like labor is stolen, um, like the like the McDonald's example or like like yeah, I see a parallel in terms of like humiliation and shame robbing people of their labor, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think there's something distinct, especially about like trauma. I will say the majority of people maybe, and then Kenny can answer that question too. I, I mean, I, I will say the majority of people who I've encountered have had some, the majority, I'm not saying everyone has been abused. I will say I have been abused. Um, Andy knows that I have been abused as a kid. And uh, so to get to this level, I think there are layers, right? There was a layer of being rebellious, but there's also the layer of, well, I've been here before, but in a different way. And I ask other people what, what like what drove you or how, what gave you the, and other people have been abused as well. They have also had sexual abuse 
uh, or uh, maybe not sexual, but it would be really <coughs> domestic abuse, like verbal abuse by their families or other uncles or, or, or people like within their community that have made it easier for them to know that they can do this again. If, if that's what, if, if I'm being clear, this is not everyone's experience, but this is a majority of people I've spoken to. Uh, unlike, I don't know how, if you were to be a McDonald's worker, what experience from your past traumatic experience led you to be a McDonald's worker? Maybe there could be an argument that you, that you probably are, you've always been a bee in a beehive of society. So you just know how to be under someone. Right. But as far as like emotional trauma, most people who have been in this field have had some level of trauma. I'm, I'm not sure if that answers anything, but anyone else? Can I mean, partly my thought is, I think I feel like I agree with what Jessica said early on that now we've entered into a new part of a conversation that in some ways I, I don't want to lose track of the story that you shared and, and, and kind of coming back at least the very least saying, asking you to reflect on, okay, that's a journey you've been on. Where has it brought you to now to be able to talk about that? Cause I do want to bring up, cause I think there, there's been so much told in that story. I don't think we've had time. And I would suspect that maybe we could do another episode, maybe the next episode to talk more about this debate that Jessica's opened up. Yeah, really on, series, Edward. <laughs> yeah. That I, I'm really on the fence. I go back and forth between Kenny and, and Jessica on this. I think I lean towards the way Kenny's thinking, talking about it, but I understand what Jessica, she's saying there's something distinctive about the nature of this exploitation that's different. It's bad. They're all bad, but is there something unique? not just in its character, but in the nature of it, that is in the type of damage it does and, and in the horror of it in some ways. Um, and so I, I would like more time to kind of like go into that a little bit because I think there's so much more to talk about capitalism and we, like, it just bring, me brings up the characters like Jeffrey Epstein, like all, and, mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. And all these things start to come in and how the, the I don't know. So I don't want to, I don't want to go. I'd like to actually stay with you, Eduardo, and maybe think that we're going to go to round three. You know, <laughs> um, I'm fine. Cause I, I, cause I also think there's a whole area to get into about virtual sex. Yeah, I want area. to get to that too. Will, but yeah. I don't, I don't think we're going to get to it next week. Oh, we're not. <laughs> I don't think so. Cause I, I'd like to talk about this, but I want to think about it. All right. Well, I would, I personally do think there's something distinct about this field. Personally. I do think that there's something very distinct. There's something, ingrained something traumatic. When I speak to the people here uh, who are 18, 19, 20 years old, 21 years old even, they, I could see myself reflected in them and I ask them deeper questions and I see how one thing has led to another. On their side, I will say distinctly is that they, there is a, there is a conversation around when I, like I said, when I talk about consent and when I talk about saying no to certain things, they get it. But there's also, what do you do when you say no to everyone? Like, what do you do when you say, no, I don't want to do it? Because a lot of people ask you for a lot of things. You know, they ask you for a lot of fetish stuff and they don't want to do that. And then you have a good client, like good clients don't come around. I don't know. I, myself, I've had very good clients. I also want to speak to the clients that their stories, I mean, I'm not going to talk about completely about them but 
there have been some very good people in my life who have treated me very well. And uh, there was a woman in Pacific Heights who was very, very loving to me. And I helped her reach areas of her life where she didn't know existed. And uh, she paid very good tips. <coughs> and when the relationship became blurred, I, I knew we had to cut off at some point. I just knew it was, that's why I cannot do this kind of work with friends. Like this had, they had to be, at some point we had to cut it off. Um, but back to, to this, uh, the, so I get the, the, the difference between me and other workers that I have found, especially going to your question, the global South is that there are, they're just these economic differences. I don't know if I, I don't feel comfortable using privilege because then, but it is sort of different when I have been a trade of different kind of, I, I have different ways to make money. This is one way to make money, but I have other ways. And I, I, don't, I cannot say the same for them because opportunities are not all there. The economic pressures are greater. And, and uh, some of those traumatic experiences are so, too, they're so, it's like conditioning. Pavlov, con there's something there that I, I don't think just me visiting and having a little bit peer-to-peer -peer conversation is going to fix it. Like these are, these are like, you need to have rehab. And I give it that need a lot of work with folks that don't know anything else but to give pleasure, you know, because it's too, too, too conditioned in there from childhood that they have, <laughs> that the word agency doesn't make any sense to some people. There's no such thing as agency. Uh, there is, I've served as this. This is what people need. This is what gives me food on the table. And this is what I know. Why would I do something different? And nowhere me talking about you can try this or you can try. It, it doesn't, it does not, it's blocked. It's, I cannot get through. That is someone that needs some level, high level of professional therapy and some real, real taken away from a situation. Like I have, so I think in that way, to me, even the concept of unionizing sex workers here, like even talking about that with some people, like, why don't you, like that concept is so foreign. Uh, so anyhow, just, so I, I'm in this struggling how to figure out how to find ways to support people that are in the same field, but we're not in the same mindset. It's something very traumatic. It's very distinct, this job, this work. People think you can just, oh, you just make some money. I mean, there are people like that. Great for them. They can just, they're pretty or they're handsome or whatever, and they go and become escorts and they make good money and good for them. I think for the majority of, of workers in this field, uh, you know, you, you go through a lot of hoops of humiliation. I certainly did. <laughs> I know what I'm good for. I'm told, you know, it's weird because I can say this laughing, but I know what I'm good for, what I have, what features want and what I'm not, what service they want and, and how to, how to flirt and how to make sure I get my bargain in it too. If I'm working with other colleagues, it's, it's, it's stupid to say it like that, but I know it's like, okay, at 32, 
I'm going to be able to do this and do this. And this is what I know. Maybe I don't have the attributes that they're looking for anymore, but I certainly can compete in this way. You know, it's weird to think that way, but it is like, it's like, what are your talents within this field? No. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify that I'm not saying that, you know, this is not intense. This is not, that doesn't have any cost. What I, what I see is that, you know, there are so many other topics that cause a lot of trauma, that, cause, that have a cost for people. And at least for me, it's like, I'm not saying that this doesn't matter. I absolutely care about this. I absolutely know plenty of stories. I grew up in that environment. What I'm saying is that when we all get caught up on this, comparing of what what is more painful than the other thing we lose sight of our of our goal and that's kind of my, my issue here it's not that i don't care i absolutely do you know but you know like someone who was you know held at gunpoint at, at the fucking border you know by a, 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 a an agent and then thrown into an icebox you know and, and then spend time you know in, in you know they have their own sort of intense trauma from being in this fucking system and, and to me this is one more thing and i'm not putting it on one level or another it's another story of, of, of what this fucking system produces for me at least you know well eduardo what do you say about how would you like to finish this yeah this, um, episode in terms of i what feel like i've taken so much time from other people i wanted to talk about well, that's why I don't think you should say that because I actually think we can come back to this. Because actually, okay. you this has been your story today. I'm just going to say, oh, it. Right, yeah. been, oh Jesus, this is your story today. But it's opened up an, an, another area for us to talk about, and we're going to be able mm-hmm. to touch back on some of the because some of the things you've said about your story have helped in, me think about how I can understand this kind of work experience in relationship to other demeaning work experiences, and the question of. Is there something you distinct about that? That's one for us to discuss as well. Um, but the idea of feeling lost, the idea of being demeaned and shamed, I think all of us have felt mm-hmm. that. But I don't also want to take away from the fact that I really do feel like you've helped me see in an area that I haven't been in. Oh, that's how a person, that's how a person walks through that. You know, that, that's how a person gets there. At least that's how it's your journey. There's probably other people got there a different way, but it makes yeah. sense. So I, I want to give you the floor to kind of like maybe why what was important about the video, if you want to come back to that, and and then what do you want us, the three of us, and then our people who are listening to take away from this episode that's really about your story in in this field. I imagined that I had prepared for a 15 minutes walk through this, and then it became this. I don't know how I felt. You see, I always fall. <laughs> I'm kidding. I fall into these traps of, <laughs> and, which has helped also in a way because I thought I was going to talk about you know sex tech, and that way I wasn't going to be so nervous talking about this topic, but I guess we've entered here. Um. So let's see. I I do want to mention one point. So you said, what are the price? What are the benefits? Uh I don't know if it benefits i don't like that word benefits but maybe the the word uh what have i come to learn or develop from sort of these experiences i have learned how to have self-respect for myself um 
explored sexual areas of myself, my identity, as people always try to ask you, what do you, what do you identify as? Uh, my identity is so, it, there's, it's not fixed because it, it's just, I realized how human my experiences have been with just whatever gender or, or gen, if whatever gender they are, I, you know, they, if they're a woman or a man, they, they want to explore an area of themselves. That's fine. And I have, I have explored those areas with them. So it's, it's to me, the identity part is difficult for me. And people like to use these labels um, in the LGBTQ plus, 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 plus alphabet world. And I, I have, I have struggles around it. You know, I kind of see people, I guess that's a benefit that I've seen people be, I guess the only thing about my clients how, is that they were willing to act on their fantasies. They were willing to pay someone to do something that everyone else holds in their head. <laughs> Even if it was a slight one second thought, I wonder what that would be like. I wonder what that smells like. I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder what it would be like with him. Or I wonder what, if I did this with that person, like everyone has a thought. I know this. Uh, and if you've done any sort of alternative, like, drug inducing kind of out there reality like you know surreal experiences your mind will spin and my clients their minds spin but they were willing to say i have the money and i want to try this and so i i don't think that it's defined i think humans are just humans i'm not talking about sex right now i'm just talking about like their attraction i think attraction is very fluid and i think attraction can be very um Yes, of course, there are people who are like, no, this is just what I like. That's fine. I respect that. But in their, in most people's minds, it, it, it tends to be those thoughts don't, thoughts, there are wandering thoughts and people can act on them or they don't act on them. So that's one thing I have learned. Uh, another thing that I, I think I've, 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 I've come to appreciate from this work is the relationships, which is strange. I'm not very good at being a robot, even when I, I'm an interpreter. I'm, I'm just not very good at being robotic with people. The relationships I have built, even with my friends and even with just people I meet a little bit, I have an innate desire to want to connect very strongly. And that is something very appealing with some clients. Uh, a lot of them don't just seek out. I have been in sessions where I thought I came with my rucksack and I had toys and I had lube and I had all right, and, and disinfectant, and I had everything ready, right? You know, you coming with your toolbox, and then, you know, they went through a shitty day. And you're sitting there, and I thought, you know, I'm ready. I, you know, I, I'll just say I clean myself out for anything. And yet, I think I'll edit that part up. But, <laughs> but then I sit there, I'm showered, I'm, I'm like ready for anything, and, and this person is crying. And they're married or this is an older gay man who just doesn't, is not interested in, in any sort of pleasure right now. They just want to talk to somebody. And sometimes that's what you're hired for. You just there to talk. Some people have experienced uh, feeling like there, no one likes them. No one is sexually attracted to them. And that's why they hire. Like that's also been part of my work as a sexual surrogate. I know there are people with disabilities. <laughs> Uh, I know what people I would, I would not be with someone who had Down syndrome, for example, 
but I, I would be with someone who was in a wheelchair and I know is fully conscious of their body and their autonomy and they're not able to have pleasure, right? Hold on. They're not able to have pleasure because people are not attracted to them or they, they see them as weak or they think they're impotent and, uh, and women who also feel like they're overweight they may not feel like anyone loves them or, you know, I've been in many, many situations where I think that's my talent. Maybe if that's what it is, is giving people that security of who they are. We're going to wrap up because I, I think it's getting crowded in here. Uh, so that's another area that I, I also wanted to just explore with this conversation was just how much society is so, so horrible, so terrible that people fall into depression, loneliness, uh, sex is repressed, like people are repressed sexually. Uh, people are, they, there are all these walks of life that I've come to know. And I think that people who experience those things uh, deserve to be loved. And I try to provide that, except I cannot be more than that. And those relationships have crossed over sometimes where I'm getting a bunch of text messages. I'm getting a bunch of emails. I'm being stalked on Facebook. I'm getting... Instagram messages and I can't, so I have to figure out a way to, to stop that. And I try to talk about these things in a calm way, but they're not able to, it's just not there. And then I get feel worse when all they say is you're the only person I've had a wonderful experience with. And then I, I cannot find any more pleasures with anybody. And I tried hiring other, other workers like you, but they're not like you. And so I feel bad because I'm not able to have that. I'm not able to have, um, I can't, I cannot go back to that, right? I, you can't, you're not supposed to. So those are the ethics, I think, for me that are still blurry and also I have to maintain. Yeah, sorry, I was distracted by some of the infighting that was happening among my roommates. They, they're having a lot of relationship issues. Yeah. And he just came back from work and there's a lot going on in this room. There's a lot going on. He doesn't like that she works in this field and la, la, la. And then I'm here talking about it. Obviously, they don't have to speak English about it to know what I'm talking about. The word SEX is quite clear for anyone universally. So, so it's triggering him. And I have to talk about with him what I'm talking about. He thinks I'm talking about her in this field. Oh, it's getting all kinds of messiness. Yeah. Uh, so let me find a way. So yeah. Anyhow, so just about clients. I want to also, I don't know. It's weird because I have this connection and desire to want to also give a space for them i'm not they're the minority minority of obviously there's a majority of people who are really messed up in the head and treat you like an animal or worse and there are people who i do think that are in the society that need a lot of we need we need a lot of resources and mental health and i'm not a professional but that's what they hire people for and uh, for they hire sex workers for sometimes and when we get in these messy situations where relationships you don't know where the boundaries lie uh, anyhow, so I guess where I would like for us to wrap up is for, if you all have questions around that, I think we've all had this good questions and I don't think there's anything else I left out about my journey. I, I'm kind of exhausted talking about it. And honestly, it's going to give me emotional drain because I, yeah, I have never talked about it this much with other people besides my partner. And even with my partner, it's like snippets and in therapy, it's only one hour. And we don't tackle everything in one hour either. <laughs> well, then why don't you, why don't we call it a day? Um, 
I would just want to say thank you for for sharing this. I can only imagine, like I do think it's it would be exhausting to, like, and it's been almost two and a half hours. You know. Oh my goodness, yeah. we're gonna have to cut down on that. Well, um, so that's the first thing here, I say. Is, let me let me find let me find the transition, and I don't I don't like abrupt. It feels off. It feels weird. Yeah. So let me let me find the words. Like let let me find the conclusion paragraph for this essay. <laughs> um. Anyhow, I, I, um, I, I'm very appreciative for the three of you and anyone, any viewers or listeners listening to this episode. I appreciate if they've gotten to this this far into this episode. I appreciate anyone listening. Uh, I don't know how this is interesting in any way, except that I think the word "sex" sex is very attention grabbing, and that's that's the way it is. And like I've always told former students of mine when I used to work in public education, you need to say it a bunch of times to kind of get the giggles out. So. <laughs> So I think that this topic, this adult content will hopefully serve anybody if they want to know what it's like in this field or if they're curious uh, or even if people who have been in this field, if they are, want to just relate or find areas where we are connected, great, wonderful. If, that can, if this can be provided for them, great. Uh, other than that, I, I had hoped we had discussed about some other things that I, the work here that I have done in Colombia with other sex workers. We'll probably have that in another episode. Uh, and also sex tech, which is an area that is growing and booming in today's society. It's unfortunate, but the future of sex is changing. And I hope that maybe I'll share some videos around that. And we'll discuss further on that. Uh, if I left anything out, people can always comment in the, uh, in the video uh, section below in the comments and we'll discuss it further. I don't know if anyone, um, I think I've tackled most questions. So I'll, I'll be active in the comments section and people can ask me questions there. Just again, thank you for sharing. You know, this is a lot of emotional work and like, you know, but I, I appreciate it, you know, and, you know, I appreciate you as a person and, you know, like, uh, obviously, hopefully we'll talk more about it in person, but, you know, like you're an amazing human and like, you have a lot of fucking stories <laughs> and I'm fortunate <laughs> to meet you. And so thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Like Kenny said. All right. Well, thank you. The three of you. Oh, this was not intended to be this way. This was supposed to be in three parts, but this is what it is. So yeah, I, I do want to show comment on the humanity you spoke of that you're, that you that you are relating to people in that, that in the way that you're doing and the breadth of humanity that you're able to see, you know, like you often compliment me for being a good listener. Um, and I, I feel in a similar way, you are really able to listen to people in these other areas and respond. And it, unfortunately, I think it's, there's an exploitation element to the experience, but there's also, there is a gift that you have in being able to uh, meet people at different places um and i think it's pretty remarkable mm, yeah i'm still for hire i'm kidding i'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. i was gonna say if anyone on youtube is watching this you can pay me get my card on the bottom I'm kidding i'm kidding we're gonna edit that out <laughs> that's good yeah, that's funny so how do we handle that you know how do we handle the you know increase <laughs> 
the three of them are my secretaries get through them. <laughs> I'm kidding. You have to kind of, in Mexico, we say, you know, you kind of laugh. You have to, have to laugh at yourself, whatever. Like some fucked up shit happened. I, I'm not making light of that. It's just, ¿cómo se dice? there's an expression in Spanish. What am I supposed to do? You either laugh or you, or you cry. Like, you know, you... Uh, that's the way you get through. Uh, obviously, I'm in therapy, and I think everyone should be in therapy, and I recommend it. So I'm appreciative of everyone listening. Um, if it has helped anyone, great. Oh, that's what this is for. And it's a little off and different for what we do on What's Left, huh? Andy, why don't you get the outro out? No, do the outro. Well, if anyone has made it this far into this episode, congratulations. I props, if you have, to this boring story of mine. I'm glad you have been here. And thank you for what's left team for for putting up and for being here until this hour because it is late now. All right. Um, so that does it for this week's episode. What's left is weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webnote.com on what-s-left.webnote.com I'm losing my English. You can find past episodes to this podcast last channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please uh, subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on uh, Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Telegram, or Rumble. And you can find our blog and any of those uh, links in the episode notes where we found this episode. Uh, and if you would like to give us feedback about something you heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Thank you all very much. Uh, uh, thank you, Andy, uh, Jess, and Kenny. And we'll see you all next time. Ciao.